I work at a small software company in Mountain View, and um, on Tuesday, January 23rd, our entire company gathered into our cafeteria like we do every Tuesday for our company all-hands meeting. And on this particular uh, meeting, our CEO um, announced to everybody that because of our company performance had been bad, um, they had made some hard decisions to uh, cut a bunch of the products uh, out of our portfolio and focus in one particular product area. And um, what that meant was that everybody who was working on the products that were cut were also going to be cut. So on January 23rd, that meant that I'm, I was without a job. I don't really remember how I felt at that time, but I do remember I just had this cascade of question after question and thought after thought. I'm, I'm real tactical, so I kept thinking about things I had to get done. And you know, all these things kept going. I, th I think the biggest thing um, that I thought about was how do I tell my wife Karen about this um, without her panicking because I didn't want her to panic over it and so that was a big worry in my mind. But I just remember tons of thoughts just hitting my head at the same time. And then pretty quickly right after that, I just had this sense of calmness and um, what came to my mind was what I had been reading in my personal Bible study that very morning um, and, and how it applied to my situation right then. What I read that day is found in Matthew chapter 6 starting with verse 25. And it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who are you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And I thought, it's just amazing that it was on this very morning that I had read this scripture that reminded me and affirmed for me that God knows what I need, God values me, um, God wants to provide for me, and that by my worrying about this situation I was in, it wasn't going to help anything. And, and really, um, I thought, this is a moment in my life where I'm going to see, do I really believe what I say I believe in the God's Word or not? Am I going to trust God to get me through it? And as I thought about that, I really had this huge um, peace, um, which quickly turned to joy, actually, uh, because of the fact that on this very morning, I read this scripture. It's not like it was a planned scripture. It was not like it was just a random thing, but it was through, through going through a study. It was on this day that it fell that that scripture was read. And I think the reason that was so, um, that impressed upon me so much is because it felt like even back in November, God knew I was going to go through this day on this date and that I would need to have this particular scripture on this date. So it was like almost as if the study was set up with the cadence it was set up for so that I could hit this scripture on this date. So that reaffirmed for me how much God loved me and um, could provide for me what I needed. So it's a big, big blessing for me and, and I still continue to think back on that daily. Um, I'm still searching for work. I'm still interviewing. I have interviews that go on, so it's exciting to see what God has got uh, in mind for me there. Um, but still, I, through the interviews and through the job search, I come back to that scripture and I remember that God values me. He knows what I need. He'll provide for me. I don't need to worry about it because it's in God's hands. I'm Mark, and I'm being shaped by scripture.
So one of the reasons why I love Mark's story so much um, and why I love Mark so much is because Mark actually volunteers with the youth ministry here. And if you don't know me, if I haven't had the privilege of getting to know you yet, my name is Kyle and I am the youth pastor here. So I hang out with the middle school and high school students and Mark helps me do that every single week. He helps make my job easier. Um, And Mark in his story mentioned that he chose the Bible reading plan that he was going through, his Bible study. Um, He chose that all the way back in November. And in November, this date was set up in advance. And God knew exactly how many days he would miss because he forgot to read his Bible or he woke up late or anything else like that that came up. That this particular passage in his Bible reading plan would fall on this particular day. And I love that. I love that. He was intentional and he chose to spend time in Scripture. Um, and, and our series, which is called Shaped by Scripture, and, and if you're new here, if you're new to church, you're back to church for the first time in a long time, or you just don't really like churchy words, this word scripture that we're going to keep saying and you're going to keep seeing week after week is kind of, it's, it's another way of saying sacred writings. And we believe the Bible is sacred because it's spoken by God. Um, and so every time we say shaped by Scripture, it's another way of saying shaped by the Bible. Um, and so Mark chose to be in the Bible. He chose to read it on a regular basis um, and we're going we're gonna to come back to Mark's story in a little bit. But before we do, I'm going to take a little detour. So this series titled Shaped by Scripture, so shaped by the Bible, right? And you're going to hear story after story after story of, of different people in our church um, who have been shaped by a passage or a set of passages, whether that has been, they have shaped, the, the Bible has shaped the way that they think, the way that they act. Maybe like Mark, it shaped um, that the, the scripture spoke to them in a specific moment for a specific time, for a specific need, um, when they needed it. Regardless, these stories, these people have been shaped by scripture. And you're going to hear each person that gets to share on stage is going to share some of their own stories. Um, and there are a couple of foundations that will kind of be a common thread through each week of this series, or maybe a couple of assumptions almost that we essentially kind of like, we're assuming this upon this series. And the first one is that we can be shaped, that you can be shaped. As a matter of fact, part of being a disciple of Jesus is that I am in the process of being shaped, of being changed. And the series stands on the belief that you can be shaped, and really more accurately probably is that you are being shaped regardless of whether you're trying to be or not, regardless of whether you want to be or not, regardless of whether you are intentional about it or not, it's happening. You are being shaped. Every day you are doing something, you are spending time with people who are shaping you to look like the you of the future. So we, we believe that. And so because of that, during this series, we're going to talk about what shapes you. We're not going to talk about how to be shaped because you already are being shaped. And so the question we're going to keep asking, the question I'm going to ask a lot today is, what shapes you? Who shapes you? And for me, as I was preparing to think about that, I stopped for a second. I was like, wait a second. I can choose what shapes me. I can choose when I get shaped, how I get shaped. I get to choose who I become in the future. It doesn't just happen to me. And maybe I'm alone in that. But yes, I do. And that's awesome. That's which is why we're partially doing the series. You are being shaped and you can choose what shapes you or who shapes you, which means you can choose who you will become. You can choose what the future you will look like. We'd all probably agree that if you spent a consistent amount of time each week with a group of people who really enjoyed a TV show, let's say you hung out with a group of friends that um, about maybe three, four, five times a week that all really loved The Bachelor. Let's go with that show. Because I don't know why people watch that show. Um, 
So let's say you were hanging out with those people, and they, they, they watched it, they talked about it, they, they watched highlights of it, they watched, like, the sneak peeks of the next week, and they just kept, like, it was just this consistent, this kept getting brought up. Eventually, you'd probably get suckered in a little bit. Even if you tried to fight it a little bit, you might be like, okay, yeah, that's not as bad as I thought it was, or it's not as weird, whatever it is. Like, we, we can all agree that, like, maybe if the group of people really liked a certain kind of food, or they all really loved a certain brand, so they dressed that way— I think we'd all agree that we are influenced by the people around us. Maybe not completely, and that's not foolproof. It's not that if all of a sudden everybody in here started wearing jester hats every day, you'd, you'd do it too. You'd be like, these people are crazy. I'm going to a different church. Probably what would happen. But the point is that when you, you spend time with people, you're influenced by them. If you're a parent or you've been a parent or uh, you work with kids in any way, you've probably heard this phrase. Uh, maybe a teacher or principal or coach has called you at some point and said, you know, hey, your son or your daughter, they're just running with the wrong crowd. Which is just another way of saying that they're being influenced by a group of people to act in a negative way. And so the reverse could be true, too, that they could run with a good crowd and those people could influence them to do good things, whatever that may be in that case. So, so I think we, we kind of like, we know this language, we agree with it, um, and we are being shaped by the people around us, or, or more specifically, the people who are consistently around us. Some examples, maybe not people. Uh, what you watch on TV consistently shapes you. What music you consistently listen to shapes you. What food you consistently eat shapes you. Y- yep, yep. What games you play even consistently shape you. Sometimes maybe it's in small, seemingly insignificant ways, but it adds up. I promise it adds up. You think the music you listen to doesn't affect you? It does. I promise. What you consistently do, who you consistently spend your time with, shapes you into the you of the future. What you consistently spend your time doing, who you consistently spend your time with, shapes you into the you of the future. The key word is consistently, right? So if I don't ever work out, and then one day I decided to get up and go run five miles, first of all, I'd be really sore. I'd probably be kind of slow. I'd be huffing and puffing a little bit, and I'd be like, huh, actually kind of feels good, because it feels good to get your body moving a little bit. And then I said, cool, I'm good. I'll run again next month. And then next month, I got up one day and ran five miles. I probably wouldn't be any faster. I'd probably be huffing and puffing just as much, and I'd probably be like, man, I ran last month. I should be in better shape than this. But that's not how it works, right? I and mean, we laugh because we've all probably experienced that, especially when it comes to working out, or most of us have. And uh, consistency is the key. The key to working out is consistency. The key to being shaped by the people and the things that you do is consistency. And for the sake of this morning, when I say consistently or consistency, I'm going to define that as about four times a week about four times a week on average. So maybe one week you do six times, next week you do three times, cool. That is consistent for a two-week period. Not saying that it needs to be something that happens every single day at the exact same time. Maybe one day you do breakfast at 9 a.m., the next day you eat breakfast at 11 a.m., the next day you're probably still going to eat breakfast. Like it's a consistent thing you do every day probably. So I say that I mean about four times a week. We as a church are doing this series in part because we believe that you are in control of what shapes you, but unfortunately, most of us don't take control of that. Most of us are not intentional about the person that we are becoming. 
Most of us are not putting things on our schedule because we know that they're going to shape us into the kind of person we want to be. Or we don't schedule a person into our schedule because we know that person is going to shape us into the person that we want to be. But we can. And if you were to write down right now, maybe in the notes, and something you could do as I'm talking, you could totally ignore me. If you were to write down what you do most consistently and who you most consistently, consistently spend time with, who would be on that list? What would be on that list? Are those people that you want to be like? Are those things, things that help you become the person that you want to become? What you consistently do and who you consistently spend time with will create, will shape you into the you of the future. Now, if you work a full-time job, that's probably going to be on the list. You work 40 hours a week-ish. We're in Silicon Valley. Maybe it's more like 60 hours a week. If you do that, that's probably going to be something that's consistent for you. Even those people that you work with, you see them consistently, right? And that's not a bad thing. This isn't going to be one of those messages where I stand up here and tell you Jesus should be the only influence in your life. Because it's not realistic. Your family's going to influence you. You're going to have all these influences happening around you. Even things that you don't choose to have influence you. Social media, culture, all this kind of stuff is influencing us. But the question is, and our question, uh, my question for you is... Um, are you being influenced? Are you being shaped by Scripture? Which is what we're talking about for the next four weeks, including today. Being shaped by your family is not a bad thing. Being shaped by your friends probably not a bad thing. Being shaped by your work probably not a bad thing. Being shaped by Netflix maybe even isn't that bad of a thing, depending on what shows you watch. But if those are the most powerful shaping influences that you experience, that's not going to turn you into the person that you probably want to become. If you become more like your friends, are you, are you becoming more like Jesus? Maybe. Maybe your friends look more like Jesus. Maybe your friends look a lot like Jesus. If you become more like your family, are you, if you're shaped by your family, are you going to look more like Jesus? Maybe, because maybe your family all looks a lot like Jesus. If you watch Netflix, are you going to become more like Jesus? Probably not. Probably not is, is the true answer. I watch too much Netflix probably, but probably not. Um, and so some of you in here, really would say, if, you, if I was to ask you, you'd be like, yeah, I want to look more like Jesus. I, I, I consider myself a disciple. I consider myself a follower of Jesus, so I want to look more like him. And, and even though maybe some of my family members look like Jesus, nobody's going to make me more like Jesus other than Jesus. Nobody's going to shape me into a better version of myself that looks like Jesus other than Scripture, spoken by God. So the first assumption in this series is that you are being shaped, and the question is by what or by who. The second assumption, or the second part of the foundation the series is built on, is the belief that the words contain, contained in the Bible, the Bible that we read, are the like literal written words of the God of the universe. The God that created everything and sent himself in the form of Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and for your sins. And then by the power of God, Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. That God, that God that spoke and the stars came into existence. That God that spoke and the animals came, were formed. That God that spoke and breathed life into us. That God wrote these words. We believe that. Which is why being shaped by this word, be, being shaped by scripture can be so powerful. Because it's not just any words. It's not the words that are written on these pages. It's words from God. And that's powerful. The words in this book, every single one of them were inspired by God. It is this combination of the humanity and divinity combined in some crazy way that I don't even totally understand where humans wrote it down, yet God inspired them, so it's also his words. 
It's beautiful. We probably have maybe about four different groups of people in the room. First group, you're like, yes, I believe that anything I read in the Bible, I believe that is truth. Regardless of whether I agree with it or not, I agree that the Bible is truth. Maybe another group of you in here who are like, I agree that most of what the Bible says is truth, but there's some things that are kind of more like guidelines. You don't, you don't totally have to follow those because there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. And there's another group of you that are kind of like, you know, even if I consider the Bible truth in some ways or not, I just don't really hold the Bible as authoritative in my life. I don't, I don't see that as an authority to how I should live my life. And then there's a fourth group, maybe, that you're like, I don't even believe in God yet, so I'm not even sure what I believe about this, excuse me, this whole Bible thing, because I'm still trying to figure out the person who wrote it and all that stuff. And so that's, that's totally cool, too. I'm super glad every single one of you are here, because that helps shape who we are as a church, that we have all those different perspectives in this room. And that's awesome. But we, every single week, we are going to talk, we are going to teach, we are going to speak as if everything in this word is written by God, spoken by God. Not just, like, we say that, but as I've been preparing for this morning, I've been so struck. Like, I can't just say that without saying, like, the God that created everything— these were written by God. The God that created me. These, these words were written by, like literal words written from God. The God that, I mean, the miracles we read about in, in the scripture of, of the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and the God who formed the earth and the stars and the universe, like that God said, hey, here's some words from me. Read those. Write them down so that, so that you guys could read them. It's awesome. It's awesome. Regardless of where you're at, what you believe about the Bible, I want you to know that each week in this series, we're going to talk as if we believe that it says, that what it says is the authority of God, as if God himself were in this room speaking it to us. There are no errors within it. There's not one part that is more spoken by God than another. There's no part that should be taken more seriously than another. Together, it tells the story of God's love for his creation and the person who would save his creation from themselves. Evidence after evidence piles up to prove the Bible's accuracy. One of those, a major one, is the Dead Sea Scrolls. And maybe some of you guys have heard of those. Um, super, super old ancient scrolls that had biblical text written on them that were actually discovered. They weren't discovered until 1947 by a shepherd. So shepherd walks along, finds these scrolls, and that pushed our available oldest biblical texts back a thousand years because these Dead Sea Scrolls, ranged from, uh, they were dated from 250 BC to 150 BC. And so now we have these, we had our original, like these were our oldest ancient biblical texts. And then we find the Dead Sea Scrolls and it's like, oh, now a thousand years ago, these same things. And what they found was, as they were reading and like comparing between the, the really old versions and the versions we had, that there were no significant differences. That over a thousand year period, these things were copied down and copied down and copied down and the meaning wasn't changed. The purpose wasn't changed. No significant differences at all. It's exactly what God wanted to have written for you. It's exactly what God wanted to have in this book. If you have an issue with the truth within the Bible, you can't dismiss that passage or that idea without dismissing God. You can't take parts of the Bible and believe those are from God and then not other parts. When we have issues we don't agree with, something in Scripture, either we need to grow in that area or maybe we just don't fully understand what's trying to be said. That's a possibility too. So uh, before we I'm, I'm transition and share a little bit of my story and how scripture has shaped me, um, before we do that, I just want to kind of recap. This is sort of like the foundation, the, the couple of assumptions that are being made. First, you are being shaped. 
Regardless of whether you want to, you're trying to, you're intentional about it, it's happening. You're being shaped. The question is, by what or by who? We know that what you consistently spend time with, what, who you consistently spend time with, will shape you. And so what is it, who is it that's shaping you? And so this series is going to be all about, we're going to keep harping on it, we're going to come back to it. We want to inspire you, encourage you, motivate you, fill in the blank with a really cool verb, you, to read Scripture to spend time with scripture consistently, which is why we have our Bible reading plan, which is why we hand out bookmarks, which is why we started, did a whole four-week series, because we want to be a church that is being shaped by scripture more than we are being shaped by anything else. Scripture is the most powerful thing that can shape you. So little, little of my story. Some of you guys know parts of my story. Here's a part of my story that I don't think I've shared um, since I've been at Central. When I was a sophomore in college during my second semester, my spring semester, I applied to work in the spiritual formation department, which is basically just working for our campus pastor, um, helping him with chapels and events and other things that we did. I don't even remember everything we did. Shortly after I I applied for that, I started getting together with about five five of my friends and a local worship pastor in town um, who we had connected with, and we started getting together and we read the Bible together. And there wasn't any super plan. It wasn't like, hey, you need to, we all, we're all reading this book together. It was just for about 30 minutes, we read whatever we wanted to read each individually. And then for 30 minutes, we talked about it. Hey, what'd you read? What'd you like? What, what do you feel like God's teaching you right now? And so it was about an hour in the morning, super simple, unstructured, organic. The key to it was that we did it five days a week. So we got up every single morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we read the Bible, and we talked about it. We read the Bible, and we talked about it. We read the Bible, and we talked about it. And I, looking back at that time, put, put myself back in the shoes of that 19-year-old kid. I would have had no idea how the next nine months of my life, how the next six to nine months of my life were going to drastically set me on a course that was putting me in a direction that I would have never imagined I could go in. And we did that for a couple of months before the school year ended. Then we had summer break. We came back in the fall. And so here's some things that, that happened to change in this, in, during this time. My, uh, my basketball coach for my first two years of college, who was the best, most influential basketball coach I had ever had in my entire life, both on the court and off the court, him and his wife left the school so that she could go play professional volleyball overseas, which is really cool, but we were all also really mad at him because... We liked him. Um, So he left, which meant that I switched from playing basketball. That's the year that I started playing soccer. It was my junior year of college. And so I went from hanging out with this whole group of people to I'm on a completely different team. I'm spending six days a week with this group of people. Uh, I came back that fall as a junior, and I was a spiritual formation intern. So I was working with um, my campus pastor. And that spring, when we first started getting together, reading the Bible together, that's when we kind of started to dream about as a small little group what would it look like if the churches in our city united? What would it look like if Christians in our churches, in nonprofits, all this stuff, were to really be in unity and love each other and pray for each other and encourage each other? Like, how could our city be different? And then we started to wonder, what, how could we get involved? Like, how could we be a part of that happening here? And so then in the fall, my responsibility as a spiritual formation intern, um, me and a friend started a ministry called Unite. And every Monday night, we got together, and for a couple of hours, we uh, had people uh, from our city, pastors, worship leaders, leaders of nonprofits, they would come in, and we'd worship together, and then they would share, hey, here's what's going on in my church. Here's what's going on in my ministry. Here's what's going on in my nonprofit. Here's, what's God, here's what God is doing. Here's, here's some prayer requests that I have. Here's some things that are not going well. 
And then about 30 to 100 college students would lay hands on them and pray for them over and over and over again for the next 20 or 30 minutes while we kept worshiping together. And it was fairly simple, but it wasn't happening anywhere else. There was nowhere else. I mean, we we didn't care about uh, theological differences. We didn't care about denominational differences. We invited anybody and everybody who was working for God in our city to come so that they would know, one, you have people here who are praying for you. You have people here who want to support you, who want to stand with you as disciples. And two, we wanted our college campus to be like, it's not just about us. As a college kid, it's really easy to get like inward focused on what's going on on your campus because there's events and all this stuff happening. But we lived within a city of people and the whole bunch of them didn't know Jesus. And so we wanted our college kids to be able to see outside of ourselves as well. So then that fall, a little bit later, um, that's when I got my first job at a church, um, largely from my experience with Unite. And I was working as a young adult director uh, doing young adult ministry. That fall was also the time that uh, Kayla and I started dating. And all of these things shaped me. Kayla shaped me. Uh, my, my job at a church shaped me. Unite shaped me. Uh, being a spiritual formation intern shaped me. Playing soccer shaped me. Being with those people shaped me. And yet the most transforming thing, the most shaping thing that I experienced in that time was the fact that I got up every single morning before class and went to a coffee shop with five, six, seven, eight other guys, and we read the Bible, and we talked about it. We read the Bible, and we talked about it over and over and over again. And I missed some days. I wasn't perfect. I slept in sometimes. We all do, right? But I was consistent. I was consistent. So I don't remember pretty much everything I read during that time, but I remember one thing. I remember one book that I happened to be reading that time that really stuck out to me. And then from that book, uh, there was a kind of a theme or a phrase that, that I, I gained that, that has really stuck with me this whole time. So we're going we're gonna to read a little bit uh, because that, this phrase, these passages shaped me. And it was during this time that I started to really listen to God's voice for the first time. It was during this time that I, I was probably reading my Bible more in that six-month period of time than I ever had my entire life put together beforehand. And that shaped me. That changed me. So we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. Um, and we're going to be in chapter 3. It'll be up on the screen. Um, I really want to encourage you. We are going to talk about the Bible every week. We have this Bible reading plan, so we're going to keep um, bringing up Scripture week after week. Bring your Bible to church. Underline stuff, highlight stuff, write in the margins, Um, It's great that we have access to God's Word on our phones. It's awesome that we provide Bibles in the pews if you forget yours. It's awesome that you all have good enough eyes that you can see the screen, right? And yet none of that beats being able to write your own notes in your own Bible and take it home and on Wednesday open it up and be reminded, be encouraged, that kind of thing. So bring your Bibles. Um, So book of Jeremiah chapter 3, kind of at this point, God has called Jeremiah to be a prophet to Israel and to the nations. His message to them was meant to tear down, uproot, but also build up. Basically, most of his message was going to suck for people, but there was going to be a little bit of hope sprinkled in every once in a while. And the reason for this bad, sucky message for Israel was because after God did so many miraculous things to bring them out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land, Israel had become unfaithful. Worshiping idols, following customs of the other nations, they had violated their part of the covenant God made with them in Mount Sinai. Okay, so that's where we are. Let's jump in chapter 3. 
The Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people. Both Israel and Judah have been unfaithful. They've been faithless. But in this, there's still some hope, even in this message. God tells them what to do in order to change things. He says, Jeremiah, God speaking through Jeremiah, says, return to God. He tells them to acknowledge their guilt, obey the Lord, return to faith. If their problem was faithlessness, the remedy would be faithfulness. So let's uh, jump a few chapters to chapter 7. And uh, on the screen, it says 1 through 17, but we'll stop at uh, verse 7. So, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. And again, God says, change. Reform your ways and your actions. Don't trust in deceptive words. And if you really change, it's going to look like you stop oppressing the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, stop shedding innocent blood, stop following other gods, then you can continue living in this place, the promised land, this fruitful land flowing with milk and honey. Now, what Jeremiah is addressing with them about foreigners and the fatherless, widows, all this stuff, those can be taken back to specific instructions that were given to the Israelites in the wilderness when God was like, this is how you're supposed to conduct yourself. This is how you're supposed to live. You take care of foreigners. You treat them as your own. You take care of widows, all this stuff. Like you don't shed it. Like all of these things that Jeremiah is bringing up, they're not new things. They're not like, it's not that the Israelites found new ways to screw up. They're screwing up in all the same old ways. And so Jeremiah is calling them back to faithfulness to the word of God and what God had called them to do. Wasn't some big surprise, right? And so basically he was like, you can live here and be blessed. You can grow crops, raise cattle, be fruitful, or you can be taken to another nation into slavery. The choice seemed to be based upon their faithfulness. Faith started to be this really big theme that was coming out of Jeremiah for me. Because most of the time Jeremiah talked about Israel's faithlessness, he reminded them that faithfulness was the remedy. If your issue is faithlessness, become faithful. Jeremiah, in the midst of his constant words of destruction, kept giving them their out, kept giving them the roadmap to change. He might have said, using our language today, if you want to be shaped, return to the words of the Lord and be faithful to what they say. If you want to be shaped, return to the words of the Lord and be faithful to what they say. And as a 19-year-old kid, as a 20-year-old kid between my sophomore, junior year of college, um, I was reading these words and reading the story of Jeremiah, telling about a people group who had been unfaithful. I wrote in the margins of my Bible and in my notes four words. And these four words began to become an anthem for me. And as I got hired on at this church, these four words kind of became this theme, this thing that I kept speaking over and over and over again. It was that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And faithlessness doesn't, clearly. 
And that shaped me. It shaped how I talked. It shaped my beliefs. There is a more fruitful version of my life I could be living if I would also live more faithful to God and his word. God is not asking for perfection from the Israelites. He wants faith. God's not asking for perfection from me. He's asking for faith. Now, when I say this, I'm not talking about salvation. If I live more faithful, I won't be more saved. If I have faith in Jesus, I'm saved. Being more faithful or less faithful to how the Bible tells me to live isn't going to change my saved status, although being more faithful would be a natural byproduct to placing my faith in Jesus in the first place. But looking back at that time, I wouldn't say that the biggest impact that I had, the biggest thing that shaped me was the book of Jeremiah, or even this phrase that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Although that phrase stuck with me for a long time, it's literally the only thing I remember from all that time opening up my Bible, talking about it. I remember the emotion. I remember the connection to God I felt. I remember these four words. But the biggest thing that shaped me was the fact that every single morning, consistently, I got up, I opened up the Bible, and I read it. I got up, I opened up the Bible, and I read it. Doing that set me on a trajectory which has led me to where I am now. I wholeheartedly believe that had I not done that with my life, my life would look differently today. I probably wouldn't be standing on this stage. I would have never started the ministry of Unite because we would have never had those conversations. I would have never had the confidence to believe that the God of the universe would want me, of all people, to be a part of something like that. I would have never got hired at my first church. And to be honest with you, um, Kayla probably wouldn't have said yes when I asked her on a date. I know that what was most attractive to her was that I was so in love with Jesus. And I looked like that because how scripture was shaping me. The more I spent time reading my Bible, the more I spent time uh, quietly by myself with other people reading, I was shaped and I was looking more and more like Jesus and that was attractive to her. My life looks different today because of that specific time in my life. I can look back. So back to Mark's story. Mark intentionally chose to be reading his Bible on a regular basis. Mark was doing a lot of things consistently. One of those things was reading his Bible. And Mark was influenced by his job, his wife, the music he listened to on his way to work. But most importantly and most powerfully, the scripture verses he read on a regular basis. Scripture is the most important and the most powerful thing that can shape your life. Being shaped by scripture shaped Mark into a Mark that looks more like Jesus today. And now I'm not saying you need to seven days a week for 20 hours of your 24 hours open up your Bible and meditate on it with candles lit. That's not what's being asked of you. That's not what God asks of you. That's not what will build up a habit. That's not what consistency looks like. I would say if you were to spend 15 to 20 minutes, three, four, five days a week, that is consistent enough and his word is powerful enough that combined with the people in your life and the other things that God is doing, you will be shaped and you will look more like Jesus. Take that 15 to 20 minutes out of your life and you'll look more like your coworkers. You'll look more like your neighbors, your kids, your spouse. And maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing because maybe they kind of look like Jesus. But let's get shaped by the real thing, right? That way my spouse, my kids, my family can all be shaped by me as I'm being shaped by Jesus, not as I'm being shaped by somebody else or something else. If we consistently spend time in the Bible, that will trump everything else that we consistently do. I spend more hours each week at work than I do reading my Bible. But the Bible is so powerful that consistently reading Scripture, even if it's only 15 to 20 minutes a day, will be what shapes me most. 
Mark was faithful to God and to Scripture, and the fruit he experienced from that came on the morning he was laid off. Mark talked about how he felt God loved him and cared about him and trusted God and still trusts God will provide for him and for Karen. Because he had been shaped by Scripture, his response to being laid off is, dang, God loves me. Right? Most of us, oftentimes, something crazy like that happens and we're like, what the heck, God? Where are you? How could you let this happen in my life? This is going to be too hard. How am I going to get through this? What's going to be next? And yet Mark's response was, dang, God loves me. This is cool. What's he got next for me, right? I mean, that to me, I'm just like, whoa, I want, I want to respond like this. So, so the big question that I have for you guys today as we kind of start this series, and um, I, I get to lay out some of this foundation for you, whether Gary likes that or not, because he gets to come up next week and he has to build on top of this foundation. The question is, does scripture shape you? Is that a part of your consistent life? Is that something you consistently do? Like working out, is it something you do once a month? Again, if you do it once a month, it's kind of like, yeah, my body's going to feel good. There's some good things that happen. But next time, I'm going to feel just as out of shape. Or is it something that you are intentional? Like, yes, I want to look more like Jesus. Because if I look more like Jesus, I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more forgiving to my spouse. I'm going to be uh, more wise with how to raise my kids. I'm going to be more self-controlled at my job. I'm going to like fill in the blank of all this stuff that if I could look more like Jesus, man, that would mean this, this, and this. And those are, we all want those. We all probably need those. Some more patience in our life. Does scripture shape you? What you consistently spend your time doing and who you consistently spend your time with shapes you into the you of the future. Is that a version of you that looks more like Jesus? A year from now, will you look more like Jesus because of how you spent your time this last week? Will you look more like Jesus because of what you spent your time reading and listening to this last week next year? We started a Bible reading plan here at Central in January as a way to, together as a church, consistently spend time in the Word. And allowing God and His words to shape who we are individually and as a church. If you've been following along with us on the app, that's awesome. Keep going. If you miss a day, that's okay. Get up the next day, do it again. Try to be consistent. Stay consistent. Let Scripture shape you and see how different you look. If you haven't been doing this reading plan with us, do it. Jump in today. Jump in tomorrow. If you don't have an app or you prefer to read your Bible uh, with real pages, we created these bookmarks that allow you to follow through with us. And, and March starts this week. And so we printed new ones for March and for April. And so if you're not using the app, grab one of these on your way out at the next steps table so that you can be consistently in Scripture with us together. Even if you're not sure you believe all this stuff, all this Bible stuff, this God stuff, and you, but you're curious, you want to know, is it real? You want to know? Best way, read, read the Scripture. Let it shape you. He'll show up in such unreal ways. You will be so shaped beyond what you could have imagined. Mark could have had no idea in November what he would read on January 23rd. And he could have had no idea in in November what would happen on January 23rd and how impactful. He's probably read that verse so many times in his life. And yet on that day, it meant something different. It meant something more. And because he chose, I'm going to read this day after day after day, he gets to have this really cool story to tell about that day. So grab one of these bookmarks. Um, In just a second, the band will start coming up, and so we're going to kind of close here with this. God knows how forgetful we can be. The Israelites forgot about what God did to rescue them out of Egypt, and they lost faith in their God. You and I forget what Jesus did on the cross. 
all the time. And we forget that we've been forgiven for everything. We're sons and daughters of the king. We're royalty. We forget what his death on the cross accomplished for us. And so we, we act like we're not saved. And so we try to save ourselves sometimes. Reading scripture is a constant reminder of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we at Central, we take communion every single week. And we do it as a reminder of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. A weekly reminder of the work that Jesus did that we don't have to do now. Paul, teaching to the church in Corinth about communion, says this, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He says, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of me. The purpose isn't to cleanse our sins. That's what his death on the, on the cross accomplished. The purpose is to remember his death so that we can be constantly shaped by it. That we can be consistently shaped by it. And then Paul ends by saying that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So as we pass out the juice and the bread this morning, I want you to just sit. Sit for a moment by yourself with the elements, quietly, and examine yourself. Examine the things which most shape you, the people with which most shape you. Remember what Jesus did for you on the cross as you sit there in silence on your own. Remember, think about that. And let's commit together as a church, as a family, to be shaped by scripture so that we might look more like our savior, so that we might look more like Jesus. Let's do it consistently, day after day, day after day, day after day. So if you come back next week, you'll get to hear the next story in this series. I'm gonna pray for our communion as it comes up. God, I just thank you for sending your son. I thank you for sending yourself to die in my place, that I can stand up here forgiven for all the sins I've ever committed that I will commit. I thank you that I can have confidence in you as my savior. Would you help me to remember that? Would you help me to dig into your word as if you are literally speaking to me? Let's have a conversation together this week, God. Help me to be shaped by that, to be shaped by your word so that I might look more like you Help each of us to do that this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.